0: If you're excited to be in church this morning, make some noise. Woo! <laughs> I'm gonna try not to cry. <laughs> Pretty much just wept my whole way through worship. Come on, how good was that worship? Man, that filled my soul this morning. If you're new with us, if this is your first time, if you're watching online for the first time, my name is Pete. I have the absolute joy and privilege of serving as the lead pastor. And after 17 weeks of church online, I cannot even begin to tell you how excited I am to be preaching once again to a live audience. (laughs) So you better shout back at me if you hear something that you like, okay? And listen, if you're watching online because you're not quite ready yet to be back here in person, if that makes you a little bit nervous or uncomfortable, I just want to say that I miss you too. And we're going to continue bringing you content online virtually so that you can watch it from your home. But if I could just say this one thing to you, listen, please don't stay away too long. My my biggest fear throughout this past four months as a pastor has been that people were going to get too used to watching from home. And get out of the rhythm of prioritizing corporate worship. Because from its inception, there's always been a corporate gathering component to being the church. I know you can read your Bible at home. I know you can pray at home. I know you can worship at home. But there is something supernatural that happens when God's people come together corporately to lift up the name of Jesus and be encouraged by one another's faith. And so if you're at home, listen, I get it. I understand, but don't stay away too long. Don't let your fear keep you from experiencing the tangible presence of God when he is in the room, when his people come together to worship. But until you come back, know that I love you and I miss you. We're trying our best to create a safe and spacious environment that's been sanitized so that people can feel comfortable to come and worship. But listen, I am super excited, as you just heard Bethany say, to be starting a brand new series today. And if you're newer to our church, this has become somewhat of a summer tradition for us over the last several years. And. Um, After two months of a really deep dive and some deep teaching on the armor of God, I'm pretty excited to kind of switch things up a little bit and do some story-based sermons that we'll be able to pull some practical principles from and apply it to how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. And so I wanna set it up this way. Have you ever seen someone from a distance, uh, admired someone from a distance that you thought was like the perfect person, and then you got up close and you got to know them a little bit, And all of a sudden, they didn't seem so perfect anymore. They were a lot more normal. Or maybe, you know, you saw someone from a distance in the gym, someone that you thought was like a perfect 10, like best looking, most beautiful person you've ever laid eyes on. And then you found an excuse to kind of make your way over there to get a little bit closer to kind of get a better look. And then you get up closer and you realize, oh, wait, maybe not a 10, like maybe a 6.5 or something like that. You know, and we see it with celebrities all the time where, you know, they they always look perfect in in movies or or shows or magazine covers, and then every now and then a paparazzi will snap a shot of them when they're not expecting it, and they don't have their makeup on, and and you realize, oh, airbrushing really does a lot, like, I kind of feel better about myself after seeing what they look like without being all done up. You know, and I find that as followers of Jesus, sometimes we have a tendency to do the same thing with people from the Bible. These epic heroes, superheroes of the faith and, you know, these stories that we grew up with in church that cause these people to become like superheroes in our eyes and almost seem perfect. For the last three years, I've tried to kind of remove some of the Photoshop filters that we tend to apply to these heroes of the faith to help us realize that they're pretty normal, ordinary people that God used despite their faults and failures to do extraordinary things. And they're not that much different than you and I. Three years ago, this will be our fourth summer doing this. In 2017, we did Joshua. In 2018, we did Joseph. Last year, we did the series, Wonder Women, where we took a look at several different female heroes from the pages of scripture. And today, over the next few weeks, what I want to do is take several real stories from the life of the second king of Israel, whose name was David, to show you that in the same way that God did extraordinary things through David, he can do extraordinary things through you and I as well. Now, when we first learn of David, uh, he's just a young boy. He's a preteen, prepubescent boy. Uh, Scholars estimate his age to be somewhere between 10 and 15 years old when we're first Introduced to him. He's the youngest of eight brothers and he spends his days out in the field tending sheep. Now, David's story begins in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone and you want to follow along today, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. You can turn there now. And while you're turning there, I'm going to kind of give you the context. I always like to help people understand where we are in history and what has preceded what we're about to read so you can kind of understand the backdrop of the story. So the timeline from a historical standpoint of what we're about to read takes place somewhere in the neighborhood of 1020 to 1025 BC, give or take a few years. And uh, prior to David, just to give you a brief snapshot of Israel's history. So the Old Testament in your Bible is really following the, the history of the ancient nation of Israel, you know, through whom God would bring Jesus the Messiah. And so the New Testament begins with Jesus arriving on the scene and the birth of the church moving forward. But most people know uh, of the story of Moses you know, being called by God out of a burning bush to go to Egypt and you know, rescue the Israelites who've been enslaved for 400 years. And he brings them out of Egypt and up to the edge of the promised land, which is the land that Israel still occupies today. Before Moses dies, he passes the baton of leadership over to Joshua. Joshua takes them into the promised land. He's a valiant military leader and begins to the conquest of that land. And then after Joshua dies, there is a 300 year period known as the book of Judges in the Bible that is a repeating pattern of the nation of Israel of disobedience, disaster, and deliverance, where the people of God turn away from God. They disobey God's laws. God removes his hand of blessing and protection from them. You know, disaster comes upon them as a result. Eventually, they get tired of the disaster. They cry out to God, and God would raise up a judge to deliver them this downward spiral for 300 years known as the book of Judges of of disobedience, disaster, and deliverance. Near the end of that time, a great leader arises named Samuel. Now Samuel is a judge, but he's also a prophet. He hears messages from God that he delivers to the people, and he leads for a great number of years. But as he gets up there in years and gets older, the customary practice would have been for him to appoint his son or sons to be the next judges. But, you know, his sons were nothing like him. Uh, the people didn't respect his sons because they did not follow the Lord like Samuel did. And they're like, we don't, we don't want your sons to rule over us. We don't want them to be the judges. We want to be like everybody else. Everyone, every other nation around us has kings. We don't have a king. We want a king. And despite Samuel's disapproval, he kind of, you know, consents to appoint a king. And they appoint a man named Saul. And Saul becomes the first king in Israel's history, but it's not too long into his reign before he kind of does his own thing, doesn't obey the orders that Samuel had given him. And as a result of his disobedience, God rejects Saul as king. And that's where we pick up and find David introduced into the pages of history in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse one, when God says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Now, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the next king. Now, I could pause right there and preach a whole sermon on that one message uh, because there are some people who are mourning some things that they've lost in their life. Samuel here is kind of stuck in a season of mourning over God's rejection of Saul as Israel's king. But God is saying, how long are you going to sit here and cry over what was? And there are some people here today now, mourning something that's lost is normal, but sometimes we can get stuck in a season of mourning that turns into discouragement, despair, and depression. And sometimes we're mourning things that God has rejected and wanted to remove from our lives anyway. And God is saying to you, how long are you gonna mourn? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. But that's another sermon for another day because that's on Samuel and I'm preaching on David today. (laughs) Verse four, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked him, do you come in peace? Because Samuel was a very powerful man. He was the most powerful man in the entire nation of Israel. And they weren't sure what kind of message from God he was bringing. They didn't know what kind of visit this was going to be. So they're like, do you come in peace? And Samuel replies in verse 5, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now real quick, as an aside, when I read this verse, the word consecrate immediately caught my attention because if you were here back in January, you would remember that you know, consecrate was my one word for the year. Every year, at the beginning of the year, I I pick a word that I wanna focus on and find a Bible verse that goes along with it because that's something that I want to see more and more of in my life. And Joshua chapter three, verse five says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow you'll see the Lord do amazing things among you. And from that verse, I derived this statement that I've been repeating to myself over the last seven months. In every area of my life, I am consecrated or set apart for the Lord. Therefore, I will see him do amazing things in my life and in my church this year but when I look at the last four months not exactly the kind of amazing things that I had in mind for what I was hoping God would do in my life and in my church this year but then again when you look through a different lens and you realize the number of people that have been exposed to the gospel because we've been online and how the gospel has been taking over Facebook on Sunday mornings And how we've had people who were not ready to physically walk through the doors and attend a church service, but from the comfort of their own home, were willing to watch. And God used that to open up their eyes and their hearts to realize their need for him. And we've had over a dozen people make decisions to receive and follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because we've been online. So yes, God has done some amazing things in our church this year. And so Samuel invites Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice to consecrate themselves as he's going to pick one of his sons to be the next king. When they arrived, verse 6, Samuel saw Eliab, which was Jesse's firstborn son, and thought to himself, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Samuel saw Eliab and thinks, This is the guy. He passes the eye test. He was the star quarterback on the high school football team, voted homecoming king, right? He had the good looks and the grades to go with it. Mr. Popular in high school. But what we need to understand is that the things that we think qualify us for success in this world don't necessarily have anything to do with what God considers qualification for his mission for your life. The things that we think are so impressive don't really matter that much to God, right? We work so hard our whole lives for things that don't really impress God. We work so hard to make a lot of money. Maybe you make a lot of money, but guess what? That doesn't impress God. The earth is his and everything in it, and he made the gold that your money is based on, so that doesn't impress God. You might be successful in business, but that, that's not turning his head. You might be popular, or really good looking, but guess what, he made everyone the way they are, beautiful in his eyes, so your good looks don't impress God. The next verse gives us an indication as to God's perspective and how he sees us. Verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I've rejected him. Those things don't matter to me. There's something else more important for someone to have to be the next king. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. He said, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, looks at the heart. God says when he looks for someone qualified for the purpose that he has for them, he doesn't look at the external factors like we do. We look at someone's physical appearance, what they wear, how they talk, how they act, and we form opinions about them. We all do it. We prejudge people just based on first impressions, right? How are they dressed? How do they talk? What do they look like? We look at the outward appearance. And a lot of times we we see things in people or we, we know something about someone's past and we think that automatically disqualifies them. But God looks at something we can't see. He looks at what's inside. He looks at the heart, it says. And so God says, no, it's not the obvious choice of Eliab. And then in verse eight, Jesse then calls Abinadab, his next son, has him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And then Jesse replies, well, there's there's still the youngest, but he's out back. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel was like, well, send for him. We ain't gonna sit down until he gets here, until he arrives. Now, if you could just put yourself in this moment for a second. Like, how awful is it that David's own father does not even consider the possibility that David could be chosen to become the next king of Israel? The most important man in the entire nation of Israel shows up in your town, says, Jesse, I'm coming to your house. One of your sons is gonna be the next king. And he gathers seven of his eight sons, leaves David out in the field to tend the sheep. Like how, if, you, if, if Jesse was your father, how would that make you feel? Completely left out, completely invisible. Maybe Jesse thought that David was too young, you know, not qualified to be king, too inexperienced. And maybe there's some people here that have ignored you and not consider you a viable candidate to be used by God. Maybe people have said something to you like, you know, you're too young. You're just, you're just a teenager. You're just a factory worker. You're just a stay-at-home mom. You're just a single parent. Maybe people have just ignored you or dismissed you because of something about you. That's kind of what David's dad did to him. Disqualified him because of his age. But Samuel says to him, send for him. We're not sitting down until he gets here. Verse 12, so Jesse sent for him and had him brought in. David was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. I love how our afterthought can actually be God's plan A. David was left out by his father, but he was actually set apart by God. The first affirmation I wanna give you today is that just because I'm not visible doesn't mean I'm not valuable. I've put all these points today in the first person so you can preach them to yourself later on because I know a lot of people don't believe what other people tell them, but you believe everything you tell yourself. So I want you to write these down on your notes and preach it to yourself later so you can begin to believe that just because I'm not visible doesn't mean I'm not valuable. There might be some people here who feel that no one notices you or sees all that you're doing But as Pastor Stephen Furtick says, invisibility is not an indication of insignificance. Invisibility is not an indication of insignificance. Perhaps the people who feel unseen and left out are the ones that God wants to use and set apart to accomplish his special purposes. See, David wasn't forgotten about that day. He may have been by his father, but he wasn't really forgotten about. He was really hidden. Because you hide stuff for the things that really matter to you. Like when I was a kid, my favorite cereal was Cocoa Pebbles. Like whenever my parents would buy cereal, like there was different kinds, but whenever Cocoa Pebbles showed up after my mom got home from the grocery store, I did whatever I could. See, I'm the oldest of four. I did whatever I could to hide that box on the back of the shelf, put stuff in front of it so my siblings couldn't see it because I wanted to save it for myself. I was hiding it in the back of the shelf because it was important to me. Now, just because you might feel like you've been put on a shelf and out of sight, maybe God is just saving you for something special. Just because it's not visible doesn't mean it's not valuable. In fact, a lot of times, the more invisible something is, the more valuable it actually is. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 that the parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary and need to be given honor. That's true in our physical bodies, right? We can can do without our pinky finger, but we can't do without our liver. One is seen, one is unseen, but one serves a greater function. And the same is true in our spiritual body, the body of Christ known as the church, right? I might have the microphone and be seen every week, But there's a whole lot of people who are unseen that serve very important functions for the church to move forward. In fact, if you're watching this online right now, there's a whole lot of people who are unseen that are making it possible for you to hear my words. We've got camera operators and lighting technicians and and video switchers, audio engineers. All unseen, serving a very important function to make sure that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out. Just because I'm not visible doesn't mean I'm not valuable. We've got Kids Life, Dream Team members, volunteers that will be serving in the next service. The unsung heroes of church ministry, one of the most thankless, difficult jobs as a volunteer in a church and yet arguably have the most important job in the whole church to teach little ones about Jesus at their level, to help them understand that faith and fun don't have to be exclusive. As we empower the next generation of world changers, I love my Kids Life Dream Team members. Just because they're not visible, though, doesn't mean they're not valuable. We've got life group leaders who are Carrying the burden and the responsibility to help disciple the people of our church, to follow Jesus step by step. You may never know them, you may never see them, but just because they're not visible doesn't mean they're not valuable. Stop wasting energy trying to get people to notice you because when God knows where you are, it doesn't matter if people know where you are. God knows you, he sees you. When you aren't visible to people, maybe God is saving you and protecting you for something special. And listen, the same thing is true about the things that we do for God. Just because something God may tell you to do isn't visible doesn't mean it isn't valuable. Some of the stuff that God will use to prepare you and develop you and equip you are done in the unseen places. You know, we started the the year with the series, Keep the Change. And the tagline, if you remember, for that series was, It's the small things that no one sees that produce the big results that everyone wants. We talked about our thoughts, our words, and our actions, and the disciplines that we build into our life. It's the small things that we do when no one is looking that produce the big results that everyone wants. So don't despise the time and the hours and the days and the weeks and the months spent developing your relationship with God in the unseen places because it's what happens there that prepares you for what happens when you are seen. Just because your activities and your assignment is not visible does not mean your anointing is not valuable. God doesn't look at your current position. He sees your future potential. Even if no one else sees it, God sees it because he's the one that put it there. He's the one that created you. Before he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you. You see, God knew all along who he wanted. He knew that David, David's heart was exactly what was needed for the next king of Israel. So after the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him, this is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil in verse 13 and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, which I'm sure ticked them off. (laughs) And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel went to Ramah. I wanna talk for a moment about this idea of anointing, which if you aren't from a church background, if you're newer to faith, that might seem like a weird term or a foreign concept to you. Maybe you've heard it in like religious type of phrases or sayings like, oh, that preacher's really anointed. That worship leader, man, she can sing. She is anointed. I felt the goosebumps. He or she is anointed. But the anointing of God is so much more than that. And I want to teach you about it this morning. It comes from the idea in the Old Testament, this practice where shepherds would would take oil and pour it over the heads of their sheep and their livestock to protect them from annoying flies and insects that would, that would try to lay eggs in their mucous membranes, specifically their ears or their nose. These flies would lay eggs that would turn into to larvae and maggots that would burrow into the brain of the animal, driving the animal mad and eventually killing them. So the shepherd would pour oil over their head, covering their whole head to protect them and give them peace from these annoying insects. So the anointing brings peace and protection. So that was the the practical application of anointing, but there was a spiritual part of this as well. There was a practice in the Old Testament where oil was something that they would use to anoint something or someone for a special purpose. The word anoint means to consecrate or choose To smear or spread upon. It indicated someone being chosen by God for special favor and special responsibilities. You can't have favor without having responsibilities. It was a symbol of blessing, protection, and empowerment. And Samuel would have poured the whole horn of oil on David's head. Not like you see in church today, if you've ever seen someone pull out those small vials of oil and you know wet their finger and dab it on someone's forehead. No, in the Old Testament, they literally poured a horn of oil on someone's head, would have covered them. But anointing means something very different for you and I today in 2020 than it did for David in 1020 B.C., It's super important that you understand that anytime you read your Bible, especially the Old Testament, that you read it through the lens of the cross, because Jesus accomplished some things for us at the cross that instituted a new covenant. God does not interact and relate with his people the same way today in the new covenant as he did in the old covenant. So we've got to understand the differences here. Not everything applies the same way. And on one level, this passage is a historical text that talks about God choosing a man named David to become the next king of Israel through whom Jesus the Messiah would be born into the earth through David's lineage. That's on one level. But on a personal level, the anointing of God needs something so much more significant for each one of us here today. We may not be called to be kings of nations, but you are, according to 1 Peter 2, 9, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special possession. You are called and chosen by God for certain works. we've gotta get this idea out of our heads that the anointing is only reserved for professional Christians, the ones on the stage with the microphone. That is not the anointing in the new covenant era. It's available for everyone, not just for me as the pastor. God has anointed you for specific works that he has called you to do. It doesn't matter if you're teaching in a classroom or selling cars for a living. I'm telling you that God has anointed you for his purposes. Now, oil throughout the scriptures was representative of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. The scripture we read said after Samuel poured the horn of oil on David, from that day forward, the spirit of God came powerfully upon David. Fast forward a thousand years and Jesus shows up on the scene. I read this verse to you last week, but after being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River and coming back after 40 days of being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he walks into the temple to announce his arrival. This is his, like, I'm here moment moment he's entering public ministry after 30 years of being not visible. Jesus was not visible for 30 years. Just because you're not visible doesn't mean you're not valuable. And he reads from the prophet Isaiah, and it's recorded in Luke 4:18. the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has what? He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus would later say to his disciples in John 14 that he was about to go to the cross and return to his father. And the father was gonna send the Holy Spirit who was not gonna just be on them, but he was gonna be in them. And then 50 days after his crucifixion, on the day of Pentecost, God poured out his Holy Spirit on 120 disciples that were gathered together in an upper room because that's what Jesus told them to do. And as the town began to gather around in Jerusalem, hearing the noise and hearing these people speak in different languages, Peter gets up in the moment and says, why are you surprised? This is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, not just prophets, priests, and kings anymore. On old and young, men and women, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And what God did for David through the anointing of oil in the Old Testament God has done for every single Christian today because of Pentecost. You may not realize this, but if you are a believer in Jesus, you already have this anointing. What am I trying to say? You are anointed to accomplish your assignment. In fact, I want you to go ahead and write that down. That's our second affirmation. I am anointed to accomplish my assignment. In order to correctly function in what God has called me to, I must first be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we come to faith in Christ, we are filled with the spirit of Christ. And listen, y'all, Christ is not Jesus's last name. Christ literally means the anointed one. So when you say Christ is in me, guess what? The anointed one and his anointing dwell inside of me. When you come to faith in Jesus, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. The anointed one, the spirit of God lives inside of you. You are anointed to accomplish your assignment. He empowers you, enables you, and equips you to do the works that God has prepared in advance for you to do, Paul said in Ephesians 2.10. You're anointed to accomplish your assignment. Not my assignment, your assignment. You have been chosen by God and anointed to do something significant. And I know what a lot of you are thinking right now. Well, yeah, but my life is pretty ordinary. Maybe you get up and go to work every day and you don't even like your job and you're just doing your best to pay the bills. Maybe get the kids involved in some sports, make it through your work day. Maybe you have to wrestle two kids every day and every day you wind up with food and spit up all over you. Maybe you spend all day at a lousy paying job and your evening's going to night classes to try and get out of your lousy paying job. And you think, man, if I'm so anointed, why is my life so ordinary? But what we need to understand is that the anointing comes before the appointing. The anointing comes before the appointing. Look at what happens right after Samuel pours the oil over David's head. It said Samuel went to Ramah where he lived. It doesn't tell us exactly what happened, but the indication is that like Samuel went home. David standing there in front of his brothers, dripping with oil. Everyone just kind of walks away. David's like, am I king now? Where's my crown? But no, the next time we see David is actually in verse 19, just a few verses later. But in your Bibles, a lot of times you'll see a a section break, like a new heading between verse 13 and verse 14. And most scholars believe there's at least a couple years that transpire uh, between what happens, what, what you read in verse 14 and what happened prior to that. So a couple years go by and the next time we see David, verse 19, I wanna read this to you. Then Saul sent messengers, Saul is the current king of Israel sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is, where is he? He's with the sheep. He's anointed to be the next king. And the next time we see him, he's, he's not being fitted for a crown. He's not on a float waving to his new subjects. He's tending sheep. Smelling like sheep. Now, logically speaking, a unique anointing should immediately warrant a greater assignment. But here we see David tending the sheep, the same assignment he was doing when he was left out of the initial conversation. Guess what? I don't need a greater assignment to experience a greater anointing. Write that down. That's our third affirmation. I don't need a greater assignment to experience a greater anointing. See, we love to talk about promotions. We love to talk about God taking us to another level. But God doesn't always promise a new activity with every fresh anointing. Instead of confusing the fresh anointing that God wants to give every one of you here today because anointing was something that happened on a regular basis. Instead of confusing the fresh anointing that God wants to give you with the new activity that you wanna receive, maybe we need to realize that God isn't calling you to do something new right now, but to do exactly what you've been doing all along, but with a greater awareness of his anointing that lives inside you. The anointing is for you to accomplish your current assignment until He opens the door for you to step into your next assignment. And until that happens, you need to keep doing what you've always been doing. But some of us are trying to escape the very thing that God is trying to empower you to do. God, give me a greater anointing, which is code for God, give me a new job. And maybe God is saying, no, I want you to tend sheep like a king. I need to teach you something, David, in the field that will make you fit to wear the crown. Because how are you going to lead people if you can't lead sheep? Listen, David wouldn't become king until he was 30 years old. Almost 20 years from the time he was anointed, until he would actually be appointed as king. The anointing comes before the appointing. So instead of getting mad and frustrated at God for it taking longer than you thought or wanted it to, for you to step into the things that are in your heart that you believe he's called you to do and created you to do, maybe you need to get back in the field and keep shoveling some sheep stuff so that you can learn whatever God wants to teach you so that you'll be ready for the fight when Goliath comes along. I know this is a spoiler alert because we're obviously going to talk about David and Goliath in weeks to come. But even if you didn't grow up in church, everyone knows the story of David and Goliath. It's a modern day sports analogy. But it was his time in the field that prepared him to face the giant. There was one time after he was anointed, he's tending sheep. And a lion came and tried to attack the sheep that he was responsible to protect as the shepherd. And the anointing of God rose up in David and he struck down and killed the lion. Then there was a bear another time that tried to do the same thing. The anointing of God rose up in David and he struck down and killed the bear. And in chapter 17, verse 37, David speaking to Saul about having to face the the giant, he says this, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Listen, the field makes you fit for the fight. It's the hours of practice you put in that no one sees that makes you ready when game time comes. The field makes you fit for the fight. The time between your anointing and your appointing is intended to develop and prepare you for your next assignment. But until that next assignment comes, you need to know that you are equipped, you are empowered, and you are enabled to fulfill your current assignment even if it means it's shoveling sheep dung. Even if you're cleaning toilets or looking after toddlers, the field makes you fit for the fight. And when you keep doing what you do, God will turn you into the person he has called you to become. When you do it with an awareness of his anointing inside you, with a yielded and surrendered heart saying, God, teach me, help me to be faithful in my current assignment. Listen, I was called and anointed to become a pastor when I was 13 years old. I knew, I knew that I knew that I was gonna be a pastor when I was 13 years old. I didn't step into vocational ministry until I was 34 years old. Prior to becoming a pastor, I was a technical sales support rep for an HVAC company. And the anointing is what enabled me to become the best technical sales support rep I knew to be. And the skills that I learned and that were developed in me while I was a support rep prepared me to preach sermons because I would travel the country and give sales presentations to consulting engineers and architects and design build contractors, developing my skill to speak in front of people that I didn't know that were more educated than I was. And it helped prepare me to do what I'm doing right now. The field makes you fit for the fight, but you gotta be faithful on your current assignment. David was anointed to be king and went right back to the sheep pen. Only this time, he was anointed with the spirit of God to tend sheep. Now he tends sheep differently. Now he's got a confidence that he didn't have before. Why? Because he knows he was anointed to do great things. And a lot of times I think we as Christians think, well, one day I'll be used by God. One day I'll be able to do something significant. One day when I've got the platform like you do, Pastor. Well, are you leading a small group right now? Do you you share your faith with people at school? I'm telling you, if you're a follower in Jesus Christ, it's not one day, that one day is today. Today, right now, you might be a stay-at-home mom So walk in God's anointing with the power that he has given you. If the anointing of God is in you, you can take it to dirty places. I might smell like sheep, but I'm dripping with oil. I'm filled with the spirit, Christ is in me, and I'm anointed to accomplish my assignment. So I'm gonna do it to the best of my ability. Right now, you might be an auto mechanic or an HVAC technician. You do that job to the best of your ability, knowing that God's spirit and anointing is on you and in you to accomplish the purpose for which He had planted you there. Students, you might think you're too young to be used by God. Listen, if, if school does even open up this fall, I want you to walk back onto your campus, middle schooler, high schooler, with a confidence, knowing that you are anointed to accomplish your assignment. You are there to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to bring heaven to earth, to show your classmates who Jesus is by the way you live and to let them know that they matter to God and he has a plan for their life just like he has a plan for your life. You don't need a greater assignment to experience a greater anointing. Paul wrote in Colossians 3.23 that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Whatever you do, I wish some Christians today would recognize the anointing that God has on their life. Maybe they'd walk around instead of being so defeated, walk with their head up and their shoulders back knowing that they have been anointed and appointed by God to do exactly what they're doing and representing Him in whatever sphere of influence God has entrusted to them. You don't need a greater assignment to experience a greater anointing. You've been empowered to do great things for God. And I know we need the anointing and the power of God to do the things that he's called us to do. We can't do it without his anointing. And some of us want the anointing for a promotion. We want the next big thing. We want to we know ultimately what he's called us to so we can stop doing this menial stuff that no one sees or cares about and do the real important stuff so I can start getting some recognition. Maybe God doesn't I want to give you his anointing to promote you. Maybe you need his anointing to be persistent in what he's called you to do right now. You can walk in God's anointing as you're raising your three-year-old. You can walk in God's anointing as you're cleaning toilets. You can operate in God's anointing as you attend high school or college classes. You can operate in God's anointing as you're putting in long hours at the office even though no one sees what you're doing. You can operate in God's anointing as a small group leader. You can operate in God's anointing as you're teaching little ones about who God is. Just because you're not visible doesn't mean you're not valuable. You are anointed to accomplish your assignment and you don't need a greater assignment to experience a greater anointing. Let me pray for you today, church. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for inspiring the writers of scripture to record stories like what happened to David, young boy, invisible to his father, but set apart by you, hidden for a special purpose. And God today, for those who feel hidden, for those who've been frustrated, for those who've been discouraged because they feel like they've not been seen, they've been overlooked, they've been passed over, God, would you help them to know that you see them? And it doesn't matter if people see them. Help them to to trust and be confident that when the timing is right, God, you will open the door for them to step into the things that you have called them to do. But until that happens, God, help them to know that your spirit lives in them, that you have anointed them and empowered them to accomplish their assignment right now. And God, I thank you that the anointing is no longer reserved for professional Christians, for the prophet, priests, and kings. But now because of Jesus and the resurrection and the Pentecost day that happened when you poured out your Holy Spirit on all flesh, every single one of us who have placed our faith in you are filled with the anointing of God to accomplish the works that you've prepared in advance for us to do so God it's the anointing that breaks the yoke and so God if people came in here today under a yoke of bondage or oppression God I pray that as they now have a greater understanding of the anointing of God that lives within them God I pray that that bondage that oppression that yoke would be broken right now in the name of Jesus addictions would fall off chains would fall off marriages would be healed in the name of Jesus And for those who may be here today or watching online, if you've never taken the step to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so that he can put his Holy Spirit and his anointing in you to do the things that deep down in your heart, you know you were meant for greatness. You were meant to know God and make him known, but you'll never realize true greatness until you surrender your life to him. And I want to give you that opportunity today. If you're here in the room and you're ready to make Jesus your Lord, would you just go ahead and lift up your hand right now? And if you're watching online, you can go ahead and just put a hands-up emoji to let us know about the decision you're making today. Is there anybody here that wants to be filled with the anointing of God by surrendering your life to Jesus? Well, Father, I just pray right now for those who may be watching online that you would... Help them to see who you really are and who you've called them to be. Jesus, I pray that we would leave here different than when we came in. That we would walk with a newfound confidence to know that we are anointed to accomplish our assignment. And that we might be invisible right now to men, to people. But Lord, doesn't mean we're not valuable. We matter to you. And God, I pray that you would help us to live on purpose. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence that has been so thick in this place. Thank you for the opportunity once again to gather with my church family. I'm reminded of what David said after he would become king. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty and inquire in his temple. Lord, may you give all of us hearts of David that have a heart for one thing and one thing only, your presence, God. May your presence be what motivates us. May your anointing be what gets us up in the morning and gives us a reason to get out of bed and face the day. Lord, may we realize what a privilege it is to come into your house with our spiritual family, and lift up your name. God, would we leave here encouraged today? We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen and amen. Church, were you encouraged by God's word today? It's so good to be with you all. We're gonna continue this discussion next week with part two. Don't forget that if you came here prepared to give your offering or your tithe in person, you can do so by dropping it in one of the black boxes mounted to the wall in the back of the auditorium or just go ahead and, as Bethany said, give it online. You guys, I love you so much. Have a great week. God bless, and we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.